from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. On today's show, we have Darren Chris, who is an actor, a singer, a songwriter, also a business owner, and most importantly, a cannabis business investor. So you probably know Darren best for his creepy portrayal of Andrew Cunanan in The Assassination of Gianni Versace, an American crime story. What brings you to Miami? I know people. Oh, yeah? Versace. Versace? His fashion designer. No, no, I know who he is. Just your friends? Yeah, we met in San Francisco. I was helping him with the costumes for Capriccio. It's an opera he was working on. And one night, he treated me to a meal at Stars. Anyone who's anyone eats there. You know it? Anyway, that's when he proposed to me. Didn't work out, but we're still friends. That performance earned him a Golden Globe and an Emmy Award in 2018. Darren first came into prominence with his portrayal of the character Blaine Anderson in the popular series Glee. But his name really caught my attention recently when I learned he was an investor, along with a number of other celebrities such as Rebel Wilson and Gwyneth Paltrow, in an infused cannabis beverage company called Can. This was particularly interesting because Darren owns a popular bar here in LA. So I was interested why he was so I was interested in why he was investing in cannabis infused beverages. Does he know something that I don't? Darren's a really interesting guy and we had a really interesting conversation about cannabis, its role in his life and his experience and why he thinks cannabis and why he thinks cannabis infused beverages just might be the wave of the future. Darren Chris, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It's happy to be anywhere, uh, <laughs> whether vocally, virtually, spiritually, or mentally. It's, just, <laughs> it's nice just to be somewhere. To <laughs> so just be somewhere. As a performer, you do so many different things, your TV shows and movies and Broadway. What has your industry been like for the last six months? Have you, how have you been keeping busy? Because I know a lot of things are kind of dark now. Well, I think when you're, if, if you're making anything, you know, I always joke, I tell people that I'm a mercenary for a living, which is to say that you, you, you kind of move from thing to thing. And because I'm also a, a creative and I spend a lot of my time in the, in the proverbial bunker, in the trenches making said thing, whether it's writing the next body of music or developing the next show, there is this kind of, if you're looking at the graph, the line graph of my life, it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's usually a year on and a year off where you spend a year in the trenches making the thing. And then you spend a year putting it out and being in the, on the scene and hustling and, and, and promoting it. And what's fortunate for me and I feel incredibly grateful for this, is that last year for me was an insane making things year where I was kind of almost overdoing it. It was probably one of the most crowded years of, of my professional life. And this is coming from a guy that, that is always multitasking. This year was particularly congested. And so this year was the year of putting stuff out. 
so at the beginning of the quarantine, for me specifically, and this is, I know not everybody's the same here, I was lucky because I was putting out shows and I was putting out material. So this is now the back half of this year is the time that I would be spending writing the next thing anyway. So I, you know, being forced to be at home, I wouldn't say forced, but because, because I have to be at home, it's the time that I would want to be making the new thing anyway. I just have to hope that, uh, like we are all hoping, that the world can open up for those things to come out in a way that I, I would, uh, that we'd all prefer, and you know, and by the beginning, beginning of next year. So I think for folks that are that are creative, this is can be a very valuable time. You take that with a huge grain of salt. I have to say that with enough sensitivity to the people that are really struggling right now. But for all the pain and uh, anguish it's caused millions and millions of people around the world, it would be foolish to ignore some of the the reset buttons that have been hit as well. So for for guys like me, there's been a lot of silver linings in it. Uh, Again, take that with a massive grain of salt. (laughs) Anyway, short story long for me, the wheel does keep moving. The only frustrating, but actually not the only, the most frustrating thing is joking earlier that it's nice to have somewhere to be. It's just this sort of sense of, uh, it's the question marks and everything. There's, There's sort of a lack of concreteness. Everything is abstract. Like, okay, I've made this show. I have this idea. We're going to do it. We just don't know if and when it'll come out. There's just a huge log jam happening with production and development for a lot of people. Right. So you've got a lot of things in the, in the the fire, but nothing ignited yet. Exactly. So when it it begs the question that when the hose is released, how much of it do you want to carry on with or how much of it by that point will you be already moving on to other things. You know, I think a lot of my friends who put out albums right at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, if you can't tour an album until two years from now, do you wait to just, do you start where you left off? Or by that point, you go, fuck it, let's just now start a new, a new cycle. So it's, it's, it's difficult to not have any kind of concrete answers. But nonetheless, the wheel does move on and the new normal has, has started to enable people to maybe, you know, be a little more proactive than they were in the beginning of things. And yeah, I think this is a a good time for me to kind of get as many creative ducks in a row as I, as I possibly can. Well, it's interesting because so during this time, you've also invested in CAN, which is a cannabis infused tonic. Tell me about how that came about. Well, I can't purport being some high level entrepreneur uh, no pun intended. But, you know, there's the, the Ashton Kutcher's and 50 cents of the world who very much have their ear to the ground on the next big things and, and obviously have a, an enormous amount of capital to do that. I think any time that I have associated myself with any startup or any, any company at all, it usually has to come from some kind of emotional response, some kind of personal connection. And I had met uh, Luke and Jake at, at an event and, and was, was really fascinated with the product. And I remember walking away from it going, I know I'm not necessarily at the forefront of the cannabis revolution, but you do have to, being born and raised in California, you'd have to live under a rock not to recognize its seismic impact in this state and what it's doing to all industries around the world. And so, you know, I remember walking away from this event, you know, kind of interacting with the product going, this must be everywhere, right? Like this is probably... I'm an idiot. What do I know? This is this is like I'm probably at the latter tier of people to to be familiar with this. Like everybody must be in on this, right? Surely this is so popular that I'm this I'm just getting the last word of it now. And as I kind of looked into it, I could not I could not wrap my brain around how they were the only ones doing this at the level they were doing it. Uh, there was such a white space for this very consumer friendly alcohol alternative that. For guys like me that I own a bar. My wife and I own a bar. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
In Los Angeles? Yeah, it's in Los Angeles. And it's a huge part of our lives. And I mean, this is opening up. I'm trying to make my thoughts streamlined here because I'll just go off on a couple different tangents. <laughs> What's the name of your bar? Uh, it's called Tramp Stamp Grannies. And it's oh, a great. piano bar. So uh, it's a oh, big old so sing-along piano bar. It's a lot of fun. We are unfortunately closed at the moment. We're not permanently closed, but we are. Um, like other, a lot, many, many uh, industries and particularly bar industries in Los Angeles are just sort of waiting with bated breath for things to kind of uh, be okay. But, uh, you know, safety first, so we're waiting for that to be cleared. But just by nature of us being in the bar industry, obviously we're interested in any, in any beverage industry. So this kind of caught our eye. And what's so interesting about their angle was this not, um, well, first of all, let's start with the, the sort of stigma of cannabis. I myself am not like a massive cannabis user, have never really been. And uh, you kind of, you know, I think most of the, again, being from California, my relationship with it is much different than I think perhaps the rest of the world, just by nature of the proximity of its uh, normalcy here in California and the way that it's used and treated medicinally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the way that I think about cannabis is present in a much more wider consumer market is kind of akin to where we were about a hundred years, almost a hundred years ago with the repealing of prohibition, where you had a whole country that was divided in its consumption and legality of alcohol. So you still have, you know, a faction of people that are like all in, of course, it's fine. You just have to be safe about it. And another group of people who are less familiar and perhaps associated with something sinful or dangerous. And it really does come down to the marketing. You know, it's funny how, again, almost 100 years later, luxury alcohol brands are synonymous with luxury refinement and sophistication. And so we're kind of, the kaleidoscope is kind of shifting in that, in, in that direction for cannabis, where you're seeing it be normalized in a way that might be more accessible to folks like myself that don't necessarily want to associate it with, you know, Cheech and Chong and getting so high that you can't even see straight. That's the same way you think about alcohol. There is a difference between marketing, drinking an entire fifth of whiskey versus having a glass of wine with dinner. And while they both include alcohol, they are a very different activity. And I think with alcohol, we more easily understand that difference. And so when I saw can, I was like, this is touching upon that more refined, sexy sophistication that I think has been severely lacking in the cannabis market, especially, again, for people that may not be as familiar with its varied use application. So I saw this and I was, uh, I was fascinated by the, the simpleness of it. It reminded me of when Steve Jobs came back to Apple and the iMac came out. Wait, you're telling me that it's just, I just plug it into a wall. Wait, it's simple. It looks sexy and cool and it's affordable. And it, wait, what? Surely there's, where, where's the catch? You go, there's no catch. It's just, is a new way of thinking about something that's been around and just using a different sort of entry point. And that is what excites me the most about any new product is just something that has been around, but offering perhaps a new way to examine it and use it and and has potential to hopefully be a new norm for a lot of people. And plus, I'm excited about hopefully selling it at my bar one day. Yeah, I was gonna, well, I was going to mention, so you, I don't think you can sell it in your bar, right? I think that there are some laws around that. No, definitely not. You can't mix alcohol and cannabis. Exactly. So that's something that this is, I think, something that can start introducing new ways of, of thinking about 
that cannabis doesn't even have remotely the same spectrum of regulated policy that that alcohol does. So I think as we're still figuring that out, things like you know drinks like can can kind of start introducing to people's minds that there is a huge difference between again the mostly associated like edible pot brownie thing versus something like a microdose, which is what this drink includes. And uh, even saying words like microdose, I just say it and I hear myself, I hear it through the ears of perhaps a bit more buttoned up Midwestern mother. And it sounds crazy, but this is the same person that might have two glasses of wine before she goes to bed. And they are comparable. You're allowed to have in the state of California, eight grams of THC on your person at any given time. And each can of can has, is two milligrams of THC, which is pretty small. And I think one of the big things people have to understand is the difference. There's, it's a combo of CBD and THC, and THC is psychoactive. CBD is not. And uh, these are all differences in, in languages and terms that, again, we are so familiar with, with alcohol. You look at the ABV on a bottle of wine and hard kombucha and, and white claw. I mean, we have figured out 8 million ways from Sunday to include the alcoholic compound. Is it a compound, I guess? I, did right. I get that wrong? But <laughs> I'm not the scientist, but yeah, I know I, what you I'm mean. I'm definitely not either, so I'm very careful with my words. But we figured out so many ways to put it in the drink and we don't even think about it. Whereas I think we're on the precipice of including that in consumer goods more commonly. I mean, you see CBD in everything now, especially in California. You don't see THC in everything. And and it's interesting. I mean, do you foresee a time when there's going to be like cannabis bars where maybe they just serve cannabis infused drinks instead of alcohol infused? I'd be curious. I am not as familiar with the sort of, I mean, I don't know. That, that, that raises a whole different series of questions in my mind. I think I don't know. I, I, I'm careful with my words because I don't want to say anything and then and then not mean it. So I think whether or not that may happen, I have no idea. Uh, that will really kind of depend on not only laws, but on the appetite of, of consumers. I think the first step, if, if I had to just shoot from the hip without much meditation, would be the integration of, of both. For example, our bar, you know, if we were in a position where you could be selling can, I think can is an incredible alcohol alternative. I think uh, one of the numbers that Luke gave me that I really is a piece of data that I really appreciate is eight out of 10 adults want to be drinking less alcohol, but don't want to be completely sober. And uh, there is a lifestyle and health alternative that something like can can offer a variety of people. You know, for me, I'm at the, you know, when the bar was open, my wife and I are at the bar, she's there every night and drinking is an occupational hazard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's only so much kombucha you can drink. You know, you want to partake in a way that is not going to be harmful to you on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's a difference between, again, back to the alcohol comparison, you know, there is a difference between getting wasted and taking the edge off, just as there is a difference between getting high and letting your hair down. A huge, huge, massive difference. And we're only starting to understand that now. And I think what's cool about what Luke and, and, uh, and Jake did when they started, they weren't trying to get into the industry of cannabis per se, so much as, again, an alcohol alternative. And for me, you know, when I was doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is, you know, a very athletic show, and I did it, I did it on Broadway, I did it on tour, very taxing show. I was basically, 
I was basically an athlete for the better half of a handful of months. And I was limiting my alcohol consumption for obvious reasons. And yeah, sure, Kim would have been really nice. <laughs> you know, at the end of, I don't know, I'd take the edge off. And also, um, let's put that aside. Let's say you're a big fitness nerd and you spend a really hard day at some circuit workout. And at the end, of it, low caloric and low ABV alcohol drinks are a huge thing right now. I mean, just what, when you watch the Super Bowl, it is comical to me how many tried and true beer companies that pride themselves on beer and kind of good old fashioned American beer drinking have these massive marketing campaigns hinged upon low caloric. Hey, you know, like people are running, people are working out, doing athletic things. It's very much about a health lifestyle. But how can we have our cake and eat it too? How can we also drink beer? Well, guess what, guys? Here's a low caloric content, lower alcohol volume, beer just for you. And you're watching, you're going, it's still beer, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I, you're still drinking beer. Like, I don't know how to like tell you the obvious thing here. So it's becoming hugely popular because there are so many people who will crush a workout and then go to the bar because it's part of their lifestyle and don't want to mess with, I don't know, the games, bro. I don't know what you would say. But whatever things that you did, and so what's great about can is it really does let you have your cake and eat it too. I mean, each can is like at most 30 to 35 calories. And we're not even talking about empty calories when you're talking about alcohol. These are low sugar, if not no zero sugar options. And it can offer the same kind of, uh, again, edge relief that uh, a lot of the alcoholic drinks would do without, you know, you can have three before you reach the caloric content of one white claw. <laughs> so uh, again, there was just a white space here with the product that was just screaming at me that I was, I felt like a fool not to be, to take up on the opportunity to kind of associate myself with this bench and strictly out of curiosity. I think even as an artist, forget cannabis for a second. Like I am constantly looking for the white space, the, the empty space that hasn't been occupied yet. And I'm not like some crazy visionary and I'm not pretending to be, but in acting, you know, what is the moment that we haven't explored? What is the accessibility point for everybody? When you're telling a story, when you're writing a song, like how can you make this thing as accessible to as many people as possible? What I'm always looking for the common denominators for something that might seem distant to seem close to you. I'm always trying to minimize the distance between an idea and as many people as possible. So there are many ways to do this. I mean, this is what people go to ad execs, go to marketing schools just to, to learn this kind of stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm trying to make things accessible to people. And when I see things that have the potential to be that to many people, I'm very much interested in it. This happens to be, yes, a cannabis product, but that is sort of secondary to the potential of something that to me could be a much uh, larger industry for people that are just not familiar with it yet. Again, it's akin to how we thought of alcohol at the end of Prohibition. And if I'm making a really funny comparison, Jane Fonda, Stay with me. Very successful, likable actress in the 60s and 70s. And she comes out with a workout video in the, in the 80s. In the early 80s, comes out with a fucking workout video and a book. And at this time, no celebrity has done this. This changes the face of fitness, home fitness, the way that women identify with celebrities in fitness. Now, this is the... This is the goal. This is the standard for people. You Jane find a person. Found a workout. Uh, exactly. A person becomes the gateway and the entry point to be interested in fitness. And so this is kind of the same thing where if cannabis is something that people might scratch their heads at a little bit, I thought everything about the product and it's very, very sexy marketing is Instagram ready. It's plug and play. It's the iMac. It's a LaCroix. I mean, it's, it's very simple. 
and sexy. And I was like, I got to get it on this. I would be full not to. I'll let you go in a minute. I just want to talk about when I have a successful person like you on the phone, I always love to hear about sort of your habits and, and things that your sort of daily routines and stuff, because you do so many things. You seem to be somebody who's just got your hand in a lot of things, always busy. But I'm wondering kind of like, do you have a sort of daily ritual when you get up in the morning? Like, do you, do you sort of like approach the day in a, in a certain way to sort of set yourself for success each day? I think like everybody, you have one that you really try to do. And I probably successfully do it like maybe 15 to 20% of the time. <laughs> and then you feel really, really good about it. And you maybe do it for like a week in a row. And then you kind of lose the track because life happens. But yeah, certainly I, I do. I'd like to say that, you know, I am, and I, it goes back to why things like can't interest me. But yeah, I, I really did get into fitness like in my late 20s. And uh, I try to keep up with that in whatever way I can. What do you do? I'm a big, big believer in the home workout. And I've always been, this is a much larger conversation that if you can't tell, I have a lot to say about these things. So I won't go down a, a wormhole. But uh, let's just say that my familiarity and excitability with working out at home with very little equipment is something that has been very useful during the pandemic because now I'm seeing more and more people try and figure out how to do that from home. And by from home, I mean in a park or anywhere, just like calisthenics, bodyweight stuff. You don't need much to do a lot. I think in general, my routines or I, I'm always trying to work on myself in some kind of way. And I try and say that in a non uh, soapboxy way, because obviously we all do work on ourselves in some kind of way, whether it's big or small. But I'm a big believer in the fact that the internet is, while for better or for worse, while is is riddled with uh, chaotic despair, it is also a free library of infinite knowledge. And I'm talking more about things that you want to learn how to do. Let's not talk about uh, policy or any of those things. But if you want to learn a language, if you want to learn how to do a correct pull-up, if you want to learn how to cook authentic Italian cuisine, like these are all things that are just like a button away. <laughs> and it's like laughable to me that you can just, there's a great line in, uh, in, in Google hunting, I'm going to butcher it, but there's a part where Will is making fun of the Harvard guys. It's like, you know, your parents paid a couple hundred thousand dollars for an education you can get for $5 for a library, the library card for your local library. Well, the local library is not on your laptop and I'm always interacting with things on the internet that can teach me how to do new things. How do you sort through all the, cause you're like, it seems like you always have a lot of ideas and you're, oh, I want to learn how to do this. But how do you like manage your day? Because otherwise you're just kind of, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, how do you focus yourself? I will say that, yes, that is that is my greatest curse and I think a blessing. I'm, I am infinitely and genuinely curious in everything. And I am very careful not to speak of things. And I, I'm, I'm very, um, you know, even early when you're asking me about the, the future of bars, like I, I'm very, I never want to say anything that I'm not educated about, which, you know, I'm, I really want to make sure that I, I'm not sounding like an idiot. So I don't know. It's, I don't know how to answer that question. How do you choose things? I think I wish, you know, one of the things I need to work on is being a little more streamlined. There are a million things a day that I could do. And, and you do kind of throw spaghetti at the wall on a day-to-day -day basis and just kind of pick whatever strands you're going to pick away at. I wish if I knew this was an interview that was a little more about my daily routine, I probably would have meditated on something a little more, that's okay. a little more concise. I, I kind of threw you off a little bit. No, that's okay. No, but my answer is a bit indicative of my, I clearly don't have an answer to that. Even if I thought about it, I'd be like, I don't know. You just try and, uh, I mean, there's a great, um, there's a great Warren Buffett quote that I'm sure I will, I will butcher as well, but maybe the, the way that I've changed it in my mind 
can service what you're asking, which is he, I think he has this thing about like make a list of like top 10 things you want to do in your life before you die. Like, I think it, it, he said, he says, make a list and then like pick two and just fucking get rid of the rest and just like get rid of them. And if you can do those two, that's a pretty good life. It was something like that. I'm, I'm sure I'm getting the numbers wrong and the, I'm pretty sure I didn't say fuck. Oh, he, Warren Buffett loves to drop the F-bomb. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he does. I hope he does. But you get the idea of what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Focus. It's the ideology is just, if, even if you can get those two things done, I'm not saying I do that. I need to get rid of a few things. I just, I simply can't because I'm too excited about many of them. But I will say the pandemic also with this time at home, when you're doing one thing, if I'm shooting something, if I have an anchor, right, I'm shooting this thing or have to get this thing done, it kind of gives you a gravitational pull for your other things. Like, okay, well, I can prioritize this and that later because right now I'm shooting I'm shooting Hollywood, right? So I have to be on set. So I, can, I can't really do everything all at once. Because the pandemic is just an open canvas, everything has the same value points and same weight. So it is kind of frustrating. You're like, which one do I work on? I'm like, in a candy store. So uh, I do need to work on which thing I should do. And I don't have an answer to that. If you have any organizational ideas, please let me know. But I'm definitely not. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I was hoping you were going to enlighten me because I'm, I'm constantly asking this, asking my therapist. I, it's too much. I, 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 make, I make lists. I, I try to put things on you know, certain you know, online schedules that haven't really worked for me you know, write stuff down on Evernote. I don't know. I try to always stay very organized. You know what? I think what might have been the more uh, tied up in a bow answer, I probably should have said, you know, I just have a can or two and then see how I feel. I don't (laughs) know. (laughs) That's perfect. We could end on that. (laughs) Sure. Let's say that. Darren, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh man, you too. I'm literally going to get off the phone and think about your questions. I always say to people, one of the most interesting things about doing interviews is you're forced to think about things about yourself for the first time in real time. And say them out loud. Yeah. And say them out loud. You don't go up to a dentist and be like, how do you think about the last like four patients you've had? And they go, oh, geez, I don't know. I, I guess I did an okay job. I don't know. And then you sit there thinking about your life in a way that you wouldn't really think about otherwise. So, well, at least you care enough to, to think about it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's great. I'm excited to go to your bar when it opens up. It actually reminds me, a friend of mine, a few friends of mine opened up the Sid's, Sid Gold's Request Room in New York, which sounds similar to that. Do you, do you know oh, Sid Gold's Request Room? of course. Room? Of course I yeah. know Sid Gold. Yeah. It's a whole circuit, the, the piano bar. Yeah, it's fantastic. You name the city, I can tell you where to go. We definitely, our bar is more of a nod to, I call them our, our big sister bar. Uh, Marie's Crisis in the West Village, which is a very time-honored, beloved musical theater end up in New York that we, we've actually, some of their pianists have played at our place and it's very much a family affair between the two. But uh, yeah, I can't wait for you to come by, man. That sounds awesome. And hopefully by then we'll be able to sell can and I'll you know, yeah, have, have, have a, a sip of can. On me. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, have a great rest of your day. You too, John. I appreciate your time. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. 
That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later. <laughs>